And we are back with another episode of From the Rafter. Sam and I are here on Wednesday, May 4th, and we are joined by Bobby Manning of CLNS Media and Celtics Blog. Uh, how are you doing today, Bobby? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. Enjoying the series, enjoying the postseason, some of the other series going on. It's it's tough after those games, the Celtics ones, because Grizzlies Warriors has been on like right after those yeah. games. So I missed the first two games, and I'm just seeing guys with like swollen eyes and broken elbows and... You know, I think you saw the Dave Chappelle uh, guy who got beat yeah. up yesterday. Like, that's how players yeah. are looking after that series. And I'm not catching those games, like, because I'm at the Garden after. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm missing so much over there. Yeah. Yeah, I flip it on. And, I mean, two ejections in two games, like, what? Like, that doesn't happen. It's crazy. Like, Draymond and then Dylan Brooks. I mean, the Dylan Brooks one was is a lot. <laughs> These playoffs are getting real. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a fun postseason so far. And I think – into the conference finals it's going to get even crazier if you think maybe like a phoenix golden state series maybe and Mm -hmm. you know boston miami bubble rematch would be insane or miami milwaukee like all the options we have here on the table are going to be amazing not to mention the finals you know which could be celtics warriors uh suns bucks rematch like there's a lot of great scenarios that could play out here for sure. I mean, I know I, I wasn't feeling too hot a couple of days ago. I think it was a bit, a bit of a different mood in Boston uh, after game one, but luckily they pulled it back. Uh, some big changes in game two. What, what were some of the things that you saw in game two um, that really kicked the Celtics into gear after they obviously fell flat? Jalen, right? It yeah. started with him <laughs> from the opening seconds. He took that mid-range shot that was available to him. Uh, he was at the initiating spot on a lot of those passing sequences that were just outstanding. Second quarter, I thought, might have been their best quarter all season, both ends of the floor. It was unreal what they were doing. And the first half as a whole, I think you look at the first quarter and say the defense on Giannis really set a tone. Uh, but overall, you're looking for the offense to improve, and that's how they felt. They came out of game one saying we missed so many opportunities for passes, uh, gro- going from good shots to great shots. Uh, drop-offs to big men, and you saw Jalen hone in on all of that. I thought his passing was great. As good as his shot-making was early, he was the one setting up so many of those long passing sequences, five, six, seven passes. That's what I wrote about this morning. It was amazing what they were able to do from a passing perspective as a team, and you're really seeing them start to take on. I know Bud said coming into the series that the Celtics are a reflection of who Ime was as a player. Bud coached Ime at the end of his career, and they were on the same staff in his first year with uh, the Spurs as an assistant. And he said it was defense and it was passing and unselfish play. And that's basically what we've seen the Celtics become. But that passing angle, we know they're a great defensive team. But when they've really hit their stride as a passing team this year, they're I mean, game one, they assisted on 75% of their baskets quietly. And game two, it was, I think, 67% in the end, another ridiculous number. So they are... They've become a sensational passing team. I remember last year, I think they were bottom five in passing assist rate, that is. You so that's like a brand about it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's really beautiful to see. Like that sequence where I think White touched it twice, Horford uh, got one touch, Tatum touched it twice, and then Horford ended up finishing the play. That was one of my favorite plays all year. Uh, Those sequences where it's like five, six, seven passes. And you see like two different moments where a guy could put a shot up, but they make another pass after that. I love that stuff. That's like one of my favorite things in basketball. Yeah, they definitely worked a lot harder to get better shots in game two than they did in game one. 
they they still got decent shots in game one because Milwaukee's giving up that three-point shot pretty much anytime they want it because they don't want to give up points in the paint. But on, what was it, Tuesday? So yesterday, they really didn't settle for those threes. They would drive the extra drive and make the extra kick. It, it wasn't just quick shot and then you go back and play defense. And that, that was one thing that really helped them. And taking more mid-range shots made it more difficult on Milwaukee too, I think, uh, yeah. Jay, especially Jalen early. The balance got closer to a two, three point. I think I heard a stat thrown out there today that uh, the Celtics only shot more threes than twos uh, by uh, two games this year, I think it was. And then both games in this series, they end up doing it. But the balance was more in line in game two. And they end up shooting 48% from two after that horrific, historic, really, game one where they made no two-pointers, essentially. It was like 10 in the end. A historic number by playoff standard and by a entire regular season standard there. So they needed to open the interior, definitely. Brown's so good at that. And that's what I love about Jalen. Jalen's had a weird year, right? He's had games where he's got like seven turnovers and he's a mess. He's had fifty point a 50-point game and just some other ridiculous finishes where he's closed out games as a playmaker and everything in between. This game is my favorite from him because when their offense gets stuck, and this has always been something he's done, he can get downhill of the paint and produce a good look. Like he can just rip open good rim protection with his explosiveness in the lane. He can be a guy who rises up from that mid-range spot like you talked about, Sam, and take that. Or dribble into a three-pointer above the break and you know, and a big run. He he just scores from everywhere when he's in his bag. And that was one of his games, one of his signature performances. And he's had a few of these playoffs, right? Game two against the Nets. I, I felt like he stole that game from Brooklyn with his second half play. This one, if he didn't give them that 20-point cushion in the first half, it would have got dangerous there because Giannis was Giannis in the third quarter. Yeah, that that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, first quarter, obviously... Um, Jalen show second quarter was ball movement central, like the Celtics offense in the first, they were up 25 at the half. So obviously something was clicking, but in the second half, you kind of see the Celtics start to take a step back into the offense they had in game one. Uh, and obviously on Twitter, you see all the Bucks fans saying, Oh, the Bucks made the adjustment. This is going to change. And the Celtics won because they were up by so much. And it is what it is. Do you think that that should be concerning? Or do you think Udoka noticed that and is going to go back and adjust for uh, game three of Milwaukee? Well, he I asked him about the second half, and he said that it was a situation of the lows. He he thought played into it a little bit with all the replays and stuff, uh, some tip passes yeah. by the Milwaukee end. And Milwaukee adjusted too, because in the first half, you saw them selling out, contesting to a ridiculous degree. I mean, all you needed to do was throw a pump fake at them, and they were going into the Raptors. It was insane how they were contesting shots in that first half, and you were able to swing their defense wildly but by just sidestepping or doing an outfake I thought Grant did a great job with that Uh, second half they were a lot more composed staying in their spots Uh, Giannis was disruptive they got some good perimeter defenders I think I underrated their perimeter defense a little bit but they're erratic they've had stretches in the regular season where they've defended like they did in that first half Uh, just giving up a ton of shots uh, getting swung and manipulated with the way they play the drop there, just contesting too aggressively. And I think a lot of the disruptiveness that they were able to cause in game one, they were trying to do that again and it bit them how aggressive they were. So they were a lot more composed defensively in that second half. Giannis was great. 
I, I know people were frustrated with the way it got called, but that's who he is. Like he's going to embrace contact. He's going to make the officials call it in his favor. And he's going to play incredibly physical in that lane. And it's kind of weird. Rob got taken out of that game, right? Game one, he I think he held opponents to 0 of 11 in individual matchups. Game two, he became a foul machine. And Giannis was targeting him when he was out there. So they had to play Grant and Horford, who Giannis was able to take a little bit more advantage of in that second half. But the Wings and the and Rob, I'd say Giannis has an advantage on just from a strength perspective. Grant and Horford, those guys can hold their ground a little bit in there. So unless he's pulling up over them, which is what they want him to do, he's going to have a tough time getting in the basket, especially when Rob comes help side. And that's where Rob really did help out. So in terms of concern, you go up 25, you're going to lose a little bit of that lead. Got way closer than you wanted to, but never got to single digits. So I'm not too concerned about that, but it is a reminder that, yes, the Bucks can defend when they're locked in, and Giannis can do all that, 23 points, three assists in the third quarter. For sure, yeah. Sam's frozen here. We'll keep it rolling, though. He'll, he'll be back eventually. Uh, yeah, Giannis turned into Giannis, like you said, and uh, it's tough when you got Rob getting taken out of the game because you need him on the floor for that explosiveness. But like you said, they just kept getting the switch and Rob was getting cooked. I think I was looking at the matchup stats and they made like something four or five shots on Rob, something like a ridiculous high percentage. Then you look at Grant and Horford and they're shooting, you shooting like below 40% on those two, which is incredible. Why, by the way, like unheard of uh, the defense, those two played and I, I was giddy, you know how much I love me some Grant Williams. So that was yeah. like <laughs> a moment in give, time for me. You're going to give up <laughs> something, right? So you'll give up what he got in that third in return for not giving up threes. And I was shocked to look at the box score at the end of the game and see Milwaukee shot 16% from three because they can really shoot all those guys on the wings there. But the Celtics stayed home, and that was a great adjustment too, defending Giannis one-on-one, not doubling. I thought Smart was so bad with that in game one, just sneaking in there, trying to do too much and giving up threes to Allen, Connaughton, other guys. That's what you can't do against them, and that's what piled up in game one. Game two... I don't think they doubled Giannis much at all unless he was getting right to the basket and Rob was coming over help side. Uh, so he didn't have outlets. He had to put those shots up, and he had another super inefficient night. I guess the question is, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, is can you do – because they did do it for four games against Durant, right? They were like, all right, when's that Durant game going to come? But they ended up going the entire series, really making it tough on him. Can you make it this hard on Giannis for an entire series? I guess you can with what the personnel they have. It's kind of tough with Giannis, though, because, you know, in game one, we all saw even though he struggled scoring, he made it so much easier for all his teammates with the attention that he was able to draw. And I think the adjustment they made in game two by not throwing a double at him every time it looked like it could become an issue really helped them contain the three point shooting, which, you know, beat him up pretty bad in game one. It's funny. And like they played pretty good defense in game one, like they still only gave up like 100 points. And they improved drastically in game two. So that's that to me is encouraging to see how they can continue to build on it in game three. Their defense is ridiculous. It's crazy. The amount of individual defenders on the Celtics and, and the Bucks too. This is probably the best defensive series in the NBA, right? It's just a chess match at all times. Like, I mean, you can look at the Suns and the Mavericks, like both have good defenses on paper, but in terms of individual defenders, you're talking about excuse me, when he's healthy, the defensive player of the year, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, who just locked up Durant, 
Grant Williams uh, and Robert Williams versus Drew Holiday, Giannis. Obviously, Chris Middleton's hurt, so that sucks. But it's really just a battle of two teams full of guys who can go one-on-one with anybody else on the other team and and lock them up. And you saw uh, the Bucs kind of get cooked by Jalen in the first quarter, obviously. And shout-out to Jalen because most of those looks were ridiculously contested. I think I saw a stat that he didn't miss a contested look all night. Something ridiculous like, he was just on a burner and there's nothing they can do about that. But then, like you said, once the Bucks made those adjustments and they stopped jumping at every pump fake that the Celtics threw up, um, it was a much more even second half. And I feel like that second half um, is a big focus, in my opinion, because the Celtics offensively didn't play great and Giannis played well. But I think that's the key moving forward. I think if you let Giannis play really well, and this is goes back to what you were saying about you think they can contain Giannis for four games. I don't think they necessarily have to. I think they have to play exactly how they did in the first half in game one. And obviously they're not going to shoot like 90% from three or whatever the hell they were doing. Cause that was ridiculous. But if you can have a good offensive night, move the ball well enough, even if Giannis scores 40, you're still containing the rest of the bucks as well as you did in game two. And I think that's going to be enough to win the series. It's not going to be an easy series because obviously Milwaukee's others are better than Brooklyn's. And obviously, even though Brooklyn's others did play pretty well in that series, regardless, um, I I think that's the key moving forward. I think you just continue to not double Giannis, let him pop off if he needs to, and just focus on containing Grayson Allen, Pat Connett and threes. And don't let Drew Holiday get into the flow of the offense either because he didn't shoot the ball well, but he was pretty good in game one. Yeah, I think you can continue to do that. Now, if Giannis has a 40-50 point game, that might change, which you certainly yeah. capable of. <laughs> uh, so you, you hope that Al and Grant hold. And this Grant thing, I mean, you just have to laugh because... Uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, it's so goofy. This, like, this, is, this is what's so great about sports. You, you go back one year ago and you look at a comment section or an article or whatever, whatever you want to find... And people are saying, release them, get rid of them, shoot them in the space. He didn't play at all in those playoffs. And he was largely a non-factor on this team last year. Out of the rotation at times, Mm -hmm. you were questioning whether he was a player in this league. And now to go from that to shutting down Giannis one-on-one, I think the final number was 4-10 in game two. Like swing, causing guys to leave Tatum, they get to him in the corner, up faking and sending Giannis into the crowd. <laughs> I, I mean, like, what is going on here? This guy, Batman, Batman, baby, and <laughs> not and to top it off, I'm sure you guys saw it on the broadcast. Five guys behind the basket with G R A N T. I mean, who could have imagined this? I need to be one of them. I need to get one of those shirts. (laughs) I need to. You want another another stat? Grant Williams is the greatest three-point shooter in playoff history. He has the highest playoff three-point percentage in NBA history. 56%. It's crazy. He he was even good his rookie year in the bubble. Mm -hmm. This is what Tatum needed, that outlet on the weak side. He can go to him whenever he wants, and he's either going to hit a shot He's going to make a good decision. Now, he did get a little – I think he drives the team crazy sometimes with going overboard with stuff because he did try attacking Lopez one-on-one and yeah. trying to do some stuff off the dribble that was just out of control. But 80%, 90% of what he's done in this series has been fantastic. And you can't say enough. And he's handling it great. I think he's a good leader on this team. He says stuff when it needs to be said. He's part of like this individual accountability thing that they've had going on where like even role guys can – say say their piece and 
you know, when he's playing the way he has, they kind of have to listen. And I've written about him ad nauseum. I know Jack has too. He's really become one of the like five best stories out of this year. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And he's the X factor to this postseason so far, right? Rob missing in that Brooklyn series. He filled that gap. Clamped around. Yeah, Rob. Rob kind of getting his feet under him in this series, and he's been crucial again. Not to mention, he kind of ate up those smart minutes when Derek White was just out there last game. So he's been key. You can't say enough about Grant. I love the guy. He's great to cover. He's always going to say something funny in the on the at the press conference and give you good insight too. Uh, I was talking to him at shoot around yesterday, and he just had everything teed up from an adjustment standpoint. And you can just tell he's a high IQ player. Like he's doing these little things against Giannis and Durant that I think are really stemming from a great level of preparation and just knowing their tendencies. And I'm sure finding little areas to get advantages there because that's the only way you're going to stop those guys. I mean, he's gotten in great shape, certainly too. You can see how he's guarding on the perimeter. I love that the mm-hmm. crowd's kind of giving him little nods when he's switching on the holiday and holding him in front of him. It's ridiculous what he's doing right now. It really is. He's kind of the yeah. perfect size. Like he's not too tall to where he's going to be awkward, like, like a seven footer, but he's big enough at six, six to guard the big guys. Like we saw him, you know, deem himself the Batman after playing Jokic really well in Denver. And now he's playing Giannis well played Durant well in the last series. <laughs> I he, think he of that. These names. Yeah, and you got to give Danny credit too, right? Because these are probably the things he saw in him in that draft. You saw defensive versatility. They used him as a center when he first got in the league, which wasn't a great way to use him at his height. He did a decent job at it. Last year, he talked a lot about how he was stuck in between just from where he was at physically. He was built to guard the interior, but he ended up on the perimeter quite a bit. And this year, I think, he was on the same page as Eme in terms of how they were going to utilize him a lot more perimeter action with big centers inside. And you, you've seen it this year when he's had to play the interior more, he has struggled when he's had to step in the starting roles. It hasn't gone well for him, but when he's out there with multiple big guys, even like yesterday, he's playing more of a perimeter role. He's, he's in a great position to use his size to guard the perimeter and the interior of guys getting there. Another yeah. thing. I want to have you take a victory lap on his Horford. Uh, we had you on right after the Kemba trade. I was pumped. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Jack was excited. Yeah. But, I mean, you have the Horford jersey in the back. You said that was your favorite jersey when we asked you the first time we had you on. Favorite player, yeah. To see that he is back and playing like he never left. Dominant. Dominant. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And he's such a steady hand. Game two, he gave them that facilitating that he always has. They utilize that a lot more. Him initiating sets sometimes, being a high, you know, short roll guy, high post guy, passing out of those spots. His threes back, which is awesome. That's such a weapon. You know, that that makes it tough for Lopez and Andre Drummond last series to be out there. But him his presence around the team again. Like that as much as anything else is is huge. And he's such a steady hand out there. You always know what you're going to get from him. He's going to make the right plays. Rebounding, he's been exceptional in this series. And then you think of the value that he brought to this team in that first stint, being a Giannis slower and Embiid slower. Some of these guys, you think if they end up playing Bam in the Eastern Conference Finals, that'll be a good matchup for him too he's indispensable, really. Like, you could argue that he's been more important this year than Rob, and Rob was, has been awesome. 
But Horford, he guards the perimeter. He guards the pick and roll on the ball. He guards stronger guys in the post when he needs to heat that up. And he allows Rob to do what he does. So many centers that you can play next to Rob, like Horford, to allow Rob to play off the ball like that. If Horford wasn't on this team, Rob would have to be defending Giannis. He'd have to be defending Drummond. And that would be trouble for him. I don't think he's in a place in his career yet where he can go up against those burlier guys. To have a player who can be a threat on the offensive side of the ball, like sort of a heady setup guy and a defensive stopper. Like you can legitimately make an argument that Horford was all defense this year. He won't be, but he, if there was a all defense third team, he'd probably be on it. So yeah. he, he, he's uh, that return was so great. And you think he gave up Kemba who hasn't factored into the league at all this year, still struggling with the injuries. You look at other contracts around the league, whether it's Chris Stapps or, Russell Westbrook and John some Wall. of these guys. Yeah. You're not, John, John you're, Wall. You're not, even, fan. you're not able to even get rid of those guys. Never mind. Get something back who's key to your team. Now, I wonder how much the Celtics actually expected this out of him. I'm sure they probably went into it saying, like, oh, if he gives us something, that's great. He's given them everything at that spot this year. Held it down at the four. His offense has only expanded as the year has gone on. It's gotten to a point, I don't know if I've been on here talking about this, but you got to bring him back at that full salary next year. Mm-hmm. You have to. He's he's crucial to what they're doing defensively. And that sort of instilled the identity on this team is his ability to play on that ball, leave Rob off, as I talked about there, and switch out and guard perimeter guys too. He's, he does it all at that spot. And it looks like he never left in so many ways. Yeah, he he's shooting forty eight point three percent from three on five attempts a game in the playoffs this year. He's been like, on fire late this what? season. That that just doesn't happen. And I know Sam will go to his grave saying the Celtics would have won in the bubble if they had Horford. Yeah, on the roster. I was gonna jump in and say because you mentioned Bam. I <laughs> yeah. mean, yeah, if, if they have Hor, if he never left, I I think they would have won in the bubble. I just I I think he would have been a big factor in that Miami series playing defense on Bam who killed them. And I just think that year the Celtics played the Lakers really well, who won the title. So I think they would have had a, a very good chance to win, if, if not. Sam's hindsight theory. <laughs> yeah, his second pop game is awesome. It's, it's such a value of the offense. But more so, if you put the ball in his hands, he's going to do something good with it, whether it's the outlet passes off of the rebounds, making some of those drop passes to guards cutting from the high post there. He's always going to keep the ball popping. You saw that on some of those passing sequences we saw in the second there. It's a great series for him. Again, another good matchup. At Brooklyn, he was phenomenal. You can't say enough about his work on Durant there. Smacking at the ball. Again, great prep from this team. You know that they do good, intense film sessions, but the way they're able to pick up on some of the tendencies of these guys is is awesome. And you know you're going to have to do that too to slow down Giannis in the lane. I think they're getting to the spots that he wants to be at at the right times. They're in good positions to deflect a lot of balls when they're making entry passes and stuff. This team's a joy to watch defensively. And you go back to the trade, so much of what they did over the offseason was reorganizing their identity around defense, going all in on defense at the trade deadline. We got to talk about Derek White and this good and this bad there. But <laughs> the one reason I'll still stand behind that move is it went all in on defense. Another move that gave them a piece that can move one to three i'd say in white's case and really be versatile on that end of the ball you have no i think you said this at the end of the episode jack there's no weak links to go at on this team everybody can hold their ground and i i think their defense is 
bordering on being historic, especially when you adapt it to this era. Now you start talking about history. It's tough to compare errors, but in this era where everyone's running pick and roll, everyone's looking for mismatches, everyone's finding advantages. They've built a defense that has no weak links one through eight, let's say in the rotation. And that's pretty amazing. It's really fun to watch. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I'll stand by the Derek White trade. I see people on Twitter saying, oh, Richardson would be just as good in this, blah, blah, blah. I know Sam was upset when they traded Jay Rich, which is fair. I mean, Jay Rich, great shooter, solid enough defender, okay, playmaker. But I feel like the Derek White thing will just need an adjustment, right? Because you you have Marcus Smart in Boston for all these years, and obviously they're different players, but at the same time, they're they're pretty similar players. Um, You have Marcus Smart for all these years in Boston, and – the Celtics Celtics fans have learned to realize that it goes beyond the box score. And I don't think that's clicked yet with Derek White, that it does go beyond the box score. You see him able to guard Giannis for a possession before helps get to there. Like Josh Richardson couldn't do that, right? Like Josh Richardson couldn't guard Giannis for that long. He, he'd attack him. And you see Derek White setting up his teammates. He, he, he was what? Over whatever with five fouls last night, but he was a plus 22 in the box score. Like right. it, that tells you everything you need to know. He does all the little things. Uh, similar to Marcus Smart, and I, I think it's just going to take an adjustment period before people saying, "Oh, Derek White, he just goes beyond the box score." Because I, th- I think that's really what is happening. What do you? Derek got White's on? fine to yeah. me. You know, like I, I loved Jay Rich. I thought he was a great uh, fit. I think he is a good defender. I think, I think White's probably a better defender, and he's just probably a better fit overall. Unless you really miss Richardson's shooting, which was really high this year. But besides that, I think White hasn't beaten playmaking and defending. So. You're really not missing Richardson too much. The only problem is you can't trust White to make shots. But he made he made a couple big ones in game one when they were trying to claw back. He he made some threes, kept him in the game for a while. And he's not out there really doing anything stupid. There's not a lot of times where you watch White do something and you're like, why did he do that? Why, why did he force that? That's just not something you're saying with him, which I think is important for his role because they really just need him to be out there playing defense. He's He's tall enough, big enough to guard one through three, like you guys said. He's he's doing fine. You know, he's playing his role. You don't really need him to score however many points. He's he's done pretty solid. So I started this conversation a little bit in the Celtics blog slack. I'm sure Jack remembers a couple weeks ago. Because I think that's the right word. He's fine. And depending on how you feel about Richardson, the picks that they gave up there, and other things they could have done, I think that's going to determine how you feel about a guy being fine at that spot could someone else do that was there a higher upside addition they could have made it's tough unless you bring up examples in my mind and I haven't fought hard to see what else they could have done I don't like the idea of sticking with what they had because I think they had to make a move on Romeo that had kind of run its course Richardson was gonna be in a position where he was the backup point guard on this team and I don't think he's played well in that spot in his career off-ball in Boston was where he thrived earlier this year. Uh, you had Schroeder and Smartville in that spot, and Schroeder obviously had to go himself. So <laughs> everything kind of happened on a string there. The tough thing is, is you gave up two or rights to two first-round picks there, and I don't think you've gotten a good grasp at just where White fits in on this team. He's helped. He certainly has helped. You talk about the defense and keeping the ball popping. Those are useful things that he's given them. And the numbers bear out since he's arrived. They've been a top 10 offense. They've been one of the best defenses in the league still. So he's not hurting them. But is he helping them? I think that's a harder question to ask. 
is there something that could put them in an even better spot at that position? Because let's say they lose this series. That's where we're all going, right? Like White didn't do enough, and he's got to be better. I mean, you're right, Jack. He gave them good stuff. But you go 28 minutes in a game with zero points, that's when I think people have a harder time saying, oh, it's beyond the box score. He's brutal scoring right now. He can't find anywhere on the floor to get a shot off. And if you're a playmaker, that does start to hurt you. We saw that with Smart in the past. That is worse. Is When he really couldn't put the ball in the basket, he struggled to playmake. And he's done a better job scoring and initiating offense this year because of the fact that he's opened up his driving game. White really can't beat guys off the dribble. I haven't seen a strong pick and roll game with him and they're using him a lot off the ball, which doesn't make sense to me. I mean, there was a stretch in game two yeah. where Pritchard was handling the ball and white was in the catch and shoot position. And it was like, why it should be the opposite. So I don't know. Is he in his own head? He has to be at this point, right? The numbers are ridiculously low since he arrived here. Uh, you like to see him in a training camp, but if they lose in these post playoffs, you do start to question whether they look to, find something better in that spot maybe they can't find it and they're stuck with him there and they gotta get the best they can out of him but it is a conversation worth having because he's he's been fine and i think to win a championship a guy like that has to be better than fine i i agree and i think what you said about him being in his own head is possible because realistically speaking he's never really played for a team that has this high of expectations and he's never been past the first round so there could be a little tiny aspect of nerves there not not saying that's an excuse but just like some sort of explanation or maybe his role because he was always yeah he was the first or second guy there in the spurs for so long right Mm -hmm. yeah and then i think it also gives them longer term flexibility. Obviously, Richardson's on the book for next year, but then you're really pressured to make a move because he's on the last year of his deal. Do you want to extend him? White's on the books for what? Four more years after this? Three more years after this? Three you have a little years, bit yeah. of time. Yeah. Uh, and then I also wanted to point out, I think the conversation around Derek White would be a lot more severe if it wasn't for Peyton Pritchard's second half surgeons, because if Peyton Pritchard wasn't making shots in that second half of the season, then you're really depending on white to make the shots. And he clearly wasn't like you even look at that Pistons game that they won because of Pritchard's fourth quarter. Like if that was white taking those shots, like he was off the, the floor. And Pritchard's too. Coming in. Yeah, for, yeah. For real. Like Pritchard's been so key. And I think the fact that they have that sort of handcuff for Derek white, if he is off, because like if Derek white's not shooting well, Pritchard gets more minutes. Like that's just how it works. And that's, it's smart coaching, but if Derek White is shooting well, not only are you getting more from him, but you also have the ability to have more defense on the floor because as much as Pritchard tries and he's not a terrible defender, you'll just get attacked because uh, he's so short. So I think he's been huge. But I, I also feel like as uh, Derek White grows with this team moving forward into next year, I think he'll be more comfortable. At least that, that's the optimist in me <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, and that's why I think where we got to check ourselves a little bit because I think – you know, the Celtics media, the fan base, everyone were very optimistic crew. And then you look back in <laughs> hindsight, and you, you look back in hindsight and you're like, oh, geez, that can't go well. Like Schroeder, I held out on Schroeder for a while. I was That's defending done. him. And <sighs> I, you know, I do think people came at him tougher. So maybe it's not the best example there, but it's one of those moves. You look back in hindsight and you're like, oh, geez, that wasn't great. White, I don't think it's going to get to that point, but you do wonder if they end up losing the playoffs, what people start to think and what people start to say about him or even how the team looks at his future there. They had to expect more than this. And it's it's tough getting an answer out of email on him, but I think it is telling, as you said there, Jack, Pritchard's digging into his minutes a little bit. And so I think that says all it needs to. Uh, you definitely were expecting a lot more from him in a spot start. This was it, right? Smart yeah, yeah. goes down. 
he gets that starting role. He's playing with the best guys, and you're like, all right, this is what's going to break him out of it. Instead, he scores zero points. Oh, man. Mm. Luckily, they won because if they lose a game where he performs like that, that, that would have led this show. That would have led every show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it's for so sure. great when we talk about Pritchard because he was another guy kind of in that Neesmith boat for the first half of the season. We were all like, what happened to him? Why, why is he all of a sudden not good anymore? And he is the most probably confident guy on the floor sometimes when he shoots a three, I think it's going in every single time. And that's like an elite club. There's not, there's not that many guys in that club, but he, <laughs> even in game one, when he went, what, like two for eight from three, one for eight. Like I wasn't upset with any of those shots. And I'm so happy that in game two, he was able to come out and knock down, you know, he made the first three and they waved it off, but he knocked down the majority of his shots. So I'm glad to see he didn't get rattled after that. That could have been another big blow if he did, you know, let that first game rattle him or, whatever shake his confidence because he's been so huge obviously was a huge part in that game two win against the nets uh and the comeback and really throughout that series he just was not missing from three yeah and they've needed the spacing again this team didn't have great shot making coming in this year especially when horford was struggling they didn't have many catch and shoot threats at all brown was off to start this year tatum at the point of attack was really struggling to shoot threes uh so Guys have stepped up across the board in that role, and their shooting has reached a great place. I mean, they broke the playoff record for threes, a Celtics playoff record in game two, which you wouldn't have imagined from this team coming into the year. And throw Pritchard broke out of that early hole he was in to start this year. Minutes, production, he didn't look good when he got out there. I think the biggest adjustment for him was going from a role last year where Smart was out a ton, Kemba was out a ton, so he had more than a handful of games where he was – in full control at that point guard spot. Again, 25, 30 minutes, tons of shots, tons of leeway. Now he's 10 to 15 minute guy, and he's got to make the most of those opportunities. His spacing's been solid. He's become reliable as a shooter in that role, and he's not trying to do too much. Saw a little bit too much at the end of game one, Sam, when he forced up that shot that led to the four <laughs> three the other way. I think he had another yeah. step back off the catch. So those are rare moments, I think, in the second half of the season where he's pressed a little bit. And that's <laughs> some of the stuff that did scare me out of game one. I was like, all right, are they going to all try to start solving this themselves again against a tough defensive scheme here? But they got back to movement. They got back to pace, all the different things that they've thrived off of early in this season to beat Milwaukee and to have a guy in your seventh man spot, let's say, who's a high, high level floor spacer, 40% from three for his career. You love Pritchard. Now, the, the spots where he shined last year, I don't think that's translatable. I'm He's probably a bench guy in this league, but you need good, cheap bench guys, and he's definitely one for them. Yeah, I think it goes back to what you said. When they reshaped the roster, they were looking at defense, and uh, even at the trade deadline, when they brought back Titan, they uh, added Derek White. It's all defense. So earlier in the year, when you had Schroeder eating up those back up, minutes, he couldn't really fit in too fast. He had to get better there, and he did, right? He can survive out there on that end of the floor yeah. now. Clippers did he ended get cut, up though? Him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I thought the Celtics might pick him up. I was like, oh. I remember yeah. you saying that. <laughs> a playoff deadline pass, so it didn't make sense, mm-hmm. I guess. It is funny, though. The back of the Celtics bench, I, they put the team photo out last week, and I was like, all right, even even some hardcore Celtics fans, that top row, they'd have a tough time naming it off. And I actually got stuck. I forgot about Nick Stauskas. That was the one guy I couldn't remember was on the team. 
Sam always says it looks like they just pulled guys from. from they did. Boston, they just they, off the street. They went outside the garden. They said, "Hey, you're over six foot three. Come play." Like it's like funny. you you fit the demographic. People can see themselves in you, and they'll get behind the team. And you know they've got a bunch of weird looking white dudes on the end of the bench. And Malik fits. And Juwan Morgan. Yeah, and that's it. It's Juwan Morgan was like added the second to last week of the season. It's like, oh, okay, here's another another end of the bench guy randomly that's on the team. It's just yeah, <laughs> and that goes to show more than anything how that's our annual training camp tradition, right? Like, who's going to be the fifteenth guy? Like last yep. roster spot. And it, it mattered a couple of years ago. You look back on the Max Struess Green Taco. Oh. There was a lot of consequence <laughs> to that battle there. But this yeah. year. They haven't needed the back of that roster at all, unfortunately. They haven't even really needed the Neesmith Hauser stuff. And listen, you want to be deep. Smart goes down and you're like, uh oh. Like that's you start to think about who's stepping up. And I think some people thought Neesmith might even play in game two. I did fill in some of those minutes, but said they went grand at the three, and that's how thin they are. So you run into injuries with this team, you quickly get into some trouble. They do a great job playing thin, seven guys in game two. Uh, so they don't need it right now, but you do hope to build it out and at least give yourself some prospects next year, right? Guys you can develop behind the scenes, get excited about, guys that can step in during the doldrums of the regular season. I mean, we talked about Horford coming back. He'll need some rest at 36 if he's going to last through another season. So you want to have that bench in a better spot next year than it's in right now because none of those guys are really factoring in. And, and that's more of an off-season conversation, but... Again, you run into an injury with Smart, and you're like, uh-oh. Like, is Pritchard ready for this? Is White ready for this? Unfortunately, Pritchard was. White gave him some decent play, and Grant ate those minutes at the three, and that's how they went about it. Uh, if Smart misses another game, that could probably be some trouble. But luckily, they got the three days off here, and I'd Huge. imagine that'll get him to a good spot. Jalen, too, who kept grabbing at that hamstring, which you don't love to see, but he played well. so it's not Tatum's wrist, time. too. Tatum. Yes. Yeah, every little thing that pops up, it's like oh, no big deal. But <laughs> it, it, never, it doesn't help that they like they really have been milking these injuries on the floor. It looks like like when <laughs> Rob got hit in the balls, like I legitimately thought he might have like tore his groin. Like the way he like went down at half court, Poor like guy. they had. To I wasn't sure what was going on there. Yeah, I was looking at the wrist, just the way he was like holding like himself down there. I was like, yeah. did he just like smash his wrist or something? It's like oh, well, Mar- you had Marcus who looked like he. Tore his shoulder. Okay, your shoulder. Yeah, it was and, like, and then he went out again. I mean, you had. It's like they're screwing with all of us, and they're like, that you know, let's put them grisly. through yeah. the mental Huge. obstacle course here and see see how much they can they can deal with before they break his fans. That was Brutal. a scary Sunday, wasn't it? <laughs> Between yeah. all those visuals, oh, obviously they got their ass kicked, and he came out of it like, oh, geez, is this? Is this the wake-up call here that they've kind of hit the end of the road here? But Ime said some funny stuff after game one. I know people are laughing at the fact that he actually called out the net saying, oh, they weren't as much of a defensive team. So we just kind of <laughs> hit a bump of the road there. And it really did. You know, it was like one game. They hadn't played a tough physical team in a while there. Like, obviously, I think you talked about the Pistons, Jack. Those were some games that gave them some trouble just from an yeah. intensity and physical standpoint rebounding was an area I feel like they've struggled at times. So that kind of got them back in that mindset, I think. And am I expecting a battle in this series? Still, definitely. I I'd pick the Celtics in seven going in. I think Giannis has more up his sleeve. Are they milking the Middleton thing a little bit and saying, oh, he's out here. And all of a sudden he makes an appearance oh, at some point. 
You always <laughs> wonder. I mean, teams play tricks with these injuries. They're, they're doing the reverse nets with Simmons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, so. where we found out today he was actually like actually hurt, or, or at least oh, he's really God. going through the motions to make everyone believe it. You and really Milwaukee stuff. The... That's a tough. Uh, that's a tough road game. So yeah. I'm excited right. to get up there. It's going to be a crazy environment. And the they're defending champs again. I think people were running a little high off that net series coming in, saying Celtics in five. They're going to blow through this team. It's, it's going to be really hard to win the series. And the Bucks, if they can reestablish their defense, they'll they'll be tough to be in some of these coming games. I guess the one thing I'm concerned about with them is Bud moving a little slow. And that's always been a thing with him, right? Like, does he get out of that drop if the Celtics keep hitting shots? Does Giannis get, ever get to defend Tatum on ball in this series? We haven't seen much of that. That might be a place they have to go. And because he's really beating them downhill, playing in a crowd and passing out of it. So there's a lot of things I think to feel good about as a Celtics fan in this one right now, but it's it's still a nerve wracking series. That's a high, high level team on the other side. And we saw that game one. 100%. When you mentioned 15 guys on the roster, I've just had this in the back of my head. I went back to look at who was like the 15th man at the beginning of the season. Can you believe Jabari Parker was on this team? I forgot about I it. I, I saw a picture of him like on the team last week or something. I was like, oh, yeah, he was on this team. It might have even been when uh, people were talking about last year's Nets series and like, you know, Nets fans were like, oh, you know, we beat the same team last year or whatever. And like Jabari Parker was playing significant minutes in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> And he was actually like playing well in that series. Like he came in in one of the games and scored like 13 straight or something. And yeah, yeah. Now, now he's not on the team. Zach Lowe had a funny note about that too in his series preview because you look back on some of these Bucks Celtics games. The most of them were early, early in the season there, and it was, it was semi on the box. He was like a key. He was trying to be the <laughs> PJ Tucker to start this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Rodney Hood on the Bucks. You had Juancho Hernan Gomez on the Celtics. Oh, uh, <laughs> Marcus Cousins was on the Bucks. Yes, you know, Luke was. Cornette was playing at one point during the COVID doldrums. Ennis Freedom. Ennis <laughs> was there. Javante Smart was on the Bucks. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. these these two rosters. Both rosters here have changed quite a bit over the course Improves. of the season improved i would say i think they both got better and speaking of the bucks i don't know if you guys seen it on twitter and i i thought of this when you mentioned you know going to milwaukee with all their fans in the crowd a lot of bucks fans are saying oh like al horford pulled Giannis. that's a dirty play marcus smart undercutting Giannis. like the celtics are so dirty and i obviously i see all celtics fans saying you employ grayson allen i saw our, our buddy ryan say that which is like a good comeback to, to, to the notion but do you think that when they get into Milwaukee into Pfizer, it's going to be like loud. Like I, I assume it's going to, they're going to match the same energy Boston brought because Milwaukee is a great city for that. But just have you been seeing those same notions from fans on Twitter and around this game as well? Definitely. It's, I went there a couple of weeks ago for that kind of throwaway game at the end of the regular season. And it was intense in there. Definitely way more than Brooklyn, Brooklyn game three, you had that 50, 50 split. It was a home game. Really game four was actually pretty dead there, which you understand at three. Oh, the bucks. I'm excited to see that you got that deer district. Are you it's going? Don't, yeah. I'm, I'm heading out there Saturday. So, cool. so I'll catch those two games and, I'm excited, man. Like this, this series is tough for me. Like I, I respect the Bucks. First off, I kind of love them. Like that when the Celtics it's went impossible down, impossible to hate Giannis. You can't. You can't. You just yeah. I like yeah. Giannis, and I hate and, everyone. <laughs> everyone else, yeah. 
I guess between Bobby Portis and Allen now on that team, and you know, there's a little more to hate. The crowd, the the Garden was getting after Allen quite a bit in game two. Uh, so mm-hmm. again, though, like when the Celtics went down early last postseason, it was hard not to jump on that Bucks bandwagon, and it was a fun ride with them. And I saw how many situations they were in where you thought they were dead. Giannis going down in the East Finals, going down 2-0 in the NBA Finals. Uh, so many situations where they were in a lot of trouble. Even the Nets series, they were down 2-0 in that one, right? Uh, they had lost by 50 yeah. in that game where the Nets' big three was healthy, and they got up Brutal. from that too. So they're a resilient group. I think Bud's gotten better as a coach when we talk about that adjustment point. We saw it in the second half there, game two. And they have role players on role players who can come up big. Allen, I still don't think he's hurt them in the degree that he can. Connaughton's getting going. He's a guy that can be, Gary. and you, you know, you the, what's that old mantra? Like the role players at home. You're looking at all of those guys yeah. when they get back in Milwaukee to be a threat. And is Grant as good out there? Is Pritchard as good out there? Those are the sort of things that can swing games. One good yeah. thing to me is at least, you know, it's obviously not the playoffs, but for that back half of the season, the Celtics were really good on the road. They were. They were. Because like defense, the it's the defense, you know, like. I think of uh, that Nets game where they just destroyed the Nets and they're stacking up stops. That's a good way to set a tone in a game. And they, they led that game 28-2. That's two, what which... they did on uh, well, game two. Yeah. It was the same thing. Yeah. Right. So in that travel as well, even if your offense isn't as steady, I think you can be consistent defensively game to game. And, you know, the Celtics won 33-41 of 41 at this point. So that's been the rock that they've – won steadily off of more than steadily i mean they're winning almost every game late this year so you feel good about at least splitting out there i'd imagine and come back to boston for a game five if you win that you're in a pretty good place in this series but Giannis is still the guy you look at you don't want him to break loose against one-on-one coverage or you get in trouble and you're going to be doubling him again and maybe some of those shooters start going off there Uh, so i'm I'm still going to respect him right up until the game hits zero zero in that clinching win, whenever that comes. Cause I just can't rule him out. Like I hold him in such high esteem. I had him as the number one player coming into this year. You still? A lot of, yes. There was a lot of Durant love coming into this year. You just think of what Giannis does on both ends of the court. He can take a game over hitting free throws. Now jumpers, jumpers, passing how insane mm. was his game one passing wise yeah, incredible so mm. he's he's gonna come back he's gonna bounce back off these first two games here he definitely is Did you see the and, guy push him no what some some guy like pushed Gian- the fan pushed him like when he was walking back to the tunnel not a really guy. yeah let me see oh, if i can find man. out see if I can send it to you. Just uh, why? There's just no point in doing shit like that. Like it just—I mean, especially it's Giannis. Like, yeah, it's like not Kyrie. Giannis okay. is fine. <laughs> you don't like, do it to Kyrie he's a either, good but... dude. He he won the right way. Like, yeah. I don't know why people are angry at him. He's a pretty nice guy. D- dude was stacking Oreos and jars before Game Five against the Bulls. Like, he, he's he's like a child. He, he, I, in in the best way possible, I mean that. It's just I don't get people like that. It just makes no sense to me. Like, what do you gain? Yeah, he's he, he's incredible. I, he's one of, he's become one of my favorite players ever. Obviously, Horford's probably my favorite Celtic favorite player ever around the league. Watching it, I think it's really become Giannis, and it's got to be. He again, you look at that postseason last year it was just ridiculous. So they're gonna have to overcome that. That's the level of play I think it's gonna take to win this series. You feel good reaching that level in a game two after you played so badly in game one. You got three days of prep here. 
hopefully you get healthy, get right. Um, I guess the last thing I get for you guys is is smart. How, how does he kind of fit back into this when he does come back out there? Because I don't want to play the whole, oh, they're better without him thing. But the spacing was a little better just because of the fact that you had maybe Pritchard out there, Grant out there in those minutes instead of him. And again, you want to be deeper and you want to be more versatile defensively. And those are things you are with smart, but um, it is going to be interesting how they deploy some lineups out there. Cause you do play white smart together. That gets a little tricky. Um, yeah. You're going to need spacing against this team for sure. So that's something they're going to have to handle. As disappointing as it sounds after the whole conversation we had earlier, I feel like he just eats up most of White's minutes, realistically yeah, speaking. That's yeah, true. It, I agree. They play a very similar role, and at this point, Marcus is probably the better shooter, Definitely. as crazy as that sounds. So Andy's a better playmaker. Andy's a better defender. I think he's just an upgraded version of Derek White, and it's nice to have two of them for the handicap that you can start Derek White, and he can play backup minutes too, but... Uh, if Peyton Pritchard's hitting his shots, then P- Pritchard will probably get the majority of those backup minutes behind Smart. And if not, it'll be White purely for the fact that you can play a better switch defense. And uh, again, like you said, it's White is fine. And right now, like the long-term conversation, obviously you need him to be better than fine. But if it's working right now, I don't think like it's the time to complain or try to adjust for that. I think you just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, no one's going to complain until it goes bad. And then it'll be a roar. And you got to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be a roaring uh, backlash against that move. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Again, like, I just want to I want to know what they were expecting. I know what I was expecting out of them. When that move happened, I was like, oh, geez. Like, are they looking at moving on from smart with a deal like this? Because, again, yeah. they were in a shaky place back then. That looked like a guy who could step in and be a starting point guard on this team. And how good did he look in San Antonio at certain points? Even earlier this season when the Celtics played them there, he killed yep. them. It was nearly a triple-double. And you just haven't seen anything like that. That first game against Denver, he kind of went off. He's had a few other ones here or there. But for the most part, it's it's been a struggle for him, an immense struggle. And he's not a great quote. He's not a guy who says a lot. So it's he's, tough he's not getting, even giving you value there, then. Yeah, it's, it's you know, tough writing. getting stuff out of him. Um, so, and, you know, I don't think Ime has said a ton about him either. There's... I know it's two two guys he's really not going to go after Jalen, which rightfully so. I don't think he wants to ruffle feathers there through some of his low points because they know what they're getting out of him at his highs. Derek, I'm still I'm still really trying to figure out like what's going on there. Is it just missed shots? Maybe it's as simple as that sometimes, I guess. Yeah. But when you're struggling this badly, I feel like there's got to be a little bit something more going on. So we'll see. Just to get back to Smart before we wrap, um, you know, getting back to his shooting and the spacing. He is definitely not the best percentage shooter. He's shooting, what, like 28% for the playoffs? But he is one of those guys, for whatever reason, I trust him to take important shots. It doesn't mean at the end of the game, but just go back to game one against the Nets in the third quarter. They were kind of building that lead, and he made a couple in a row and, and in big spots in other games as well. Just look at the Raptors where, series in 2020, Yeah, right? I, I did, for some reason, something about him, he has whatever gene it is to make the shot when it seems to matter. He and, picks his spots now yeah. too, right? That's the best thing this year over last year. I feel like even now over earlier this year, under Brad, I felt like every time they'd be open, they'd jack it, especially him. And he'd end up taking like 11, 12 threes yeah. some games just because he's open. Of course he is. They're doing a better job with like secondary dribble drives, 
movement off the ball, giving each other outlets in those spots. So you don't have to shoot it every time you open from three. And he will. He did a much better job in the second half of the year. I want to say from January on, he was like 36, 37% from three. Big turnaround over his early season struggles. And now he's hit a little bit of a bump again early in the postseason. But he's he's erratic. You know, sometimes he's drilling everything. Sometimes he's completely empty out there. But What's key for him, I think, is that he's taken that away from being the basis of his game. I mean, at certain points in his career, he's strictly been a catch-and-shoot guy, which isn't great. Now he's a driver. He gets free throws. He's a main facilitator at the point point of attack. Yeah. (laughs) So his his offensive role has been well-adjusted this year. You can even get him in the post against mismatches, too, which I like sprinkling in there with him as well. Uh, So they'll be happy to get him back for sure. Very excited. M- much needed three day break here. As much as it's annoying me that we don't get to watch basketball for yeah, a few you, days. You got too many guys like holding, <laughs> holding different parts of their body to play tomorrow. Yeah. You know, Thursday. Yeah. And I heard it's cause there's like a concert in Milwaukee, right? Like that's yeah, I, I believe I it's called hog fest. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I don't even know what is hog fest. Let me, let me do a quick research real quick. It's it a bunch is... of bands and pie serve, I think. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, anyways regardless uh before we wrap and this is just a statement we're, we're gonna get out of here soon i don't, don't want to take up too much of your time i have two takes <clears throat> for game three and i'm curious to know what you think one of them is not hot at all and the other one is is intriguing i think Giannis gets juiced by the home crowd i just i think he's gonna get juiced up he doesn't want to disappoint five serve and he goes off and whether or not the Celtics can contain the others i i think that's the goal and we talked about that is yet to be seen i think grant williams gets booed <laughs> I think he gets booed at five. I'm I'm so serious because the Celtics Grant Williams, the like, Celtics, he's such a nice guy <laughs> to, to us. Look at him. <laughs> but to everybody else, he's intense and he's bodying Giannis and he's drawing the foul call. He's, he's not even like it. talking trash though. He's just like I'm smiling. Just, I said it here. I'm just gonna put it out there. I think he gets booed in Milwaukee. I think louder <laughs> than anybody else too. Like I think he will get booed. Uh, more than anybody else outside of maybe smart. I think smart. I love that smart. stuff, and I'm excited to see it. You, you, you I love, think I love it. You love seeing like the adversarial outside crowds. I remember opening night this year, like the F Boston chance in New York. Yeah, and we're, we're always around the the. You you're always going to the Garden, and this year I get Bing to bong. travel a little bit, and you see some of these other fan bases on the Nets. It was so bad. I felt like they had a decent crowd last year when they were beating the Celtics, and you they should. They, they had like three of the best players in the league, and, yeah. and Harden had to make a, a promo to like beg people to buy tickets. Yeah, like half price. <laughs> so that was rough, that. but. I almost bought those. <laughs> yeah. The next hey. crowd. Um, I'm trying to think. Philly was a sight to see this year, oh, especially the, the way they get after Horford was was something. And then, like you said, I'm sure Milwaukee. It's going to be very uh, adversarial there between them and the Celtics. So I'm I'm super excited to see that. On your Giannis point, when I think about Giannis right now, man, is he getting a good whistle? And that's part of the experience here, right? I felt like he picked up a foul that they ended up challenging in the second half unsuccessfully. And I was like, oh, that's like his fourth or his fifth, right? I looked down and it's his third. And (laughs) again, I think they didn't get the ground charge take a half court, which definitely looked like a charge. Um, There was another like elbow on Grant in there that I forget what happened with that mm, call. No, they didn't call it a flagrant. It was an offensive. It was an offensive foul. Right. So, but again, I see all these different plays and I'm like, all right, he's got like four or five fouls and he really wasn't even in trouble. And he was obviously picking up a ton of free throws in his own right. So the more contact he starts initiating, 
maybe they get an even Tatum better. Game one. <laughs> yeah, ran into him. Maybe they get an even better call it and and Fiserv there. So that's something to watch for sure. He he's gonna really he always challenged the refs, and you think a guy in his position is gonna get the benefit of the doubt more often than not in that spot. So he's got to keep getting downhill. He's got to keep embracing contact in there. And it's going to cause some foul trouble for the Celtics to happen in game two. Um, You know, you wonder what they're going to do to kind of try to free him up against Al and Grant in there. But again, something's coming. I'm definitely looking out for that. What was your second point, Jack? Uh, The booing. I think. All right. Yeah. So we hit both of them there. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, But yeah, I think that about wraps it up. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. you guys can follow Bobby at real Bob Manning on Twitter, where you can see I'm looking at his header. It's smart photo bombing him, <laughs> uh, in the car, which is just uh, this electric, like the best story great. ever. That was yeah. so funny. I still can't. Yeah, I was in shock because I didn't see him coming behind. And then he pulled the head and stopped and yelled something. I was like, oh, oh wow. did he say something? Yeah, I don't know what he said, but I think uh, he was just kind of pointing out that he uh, he hit me with the peace sign from behind there, which <laughs> was funny because I actually like I I was recording my piece there and some of the end got cut off, so I reshot it, and that's when Smart came along, which was really funny. I think people are laughing at his car, too, the blacked-out Chevy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he, was, he, he might have been wearing the robe in there. I, I didn't take a close look, but he might have been. But uh, I, I think know. so. Marcus is awesome. Again, we have our post-game show there. You do wonder. We have a decent viewership, and you wonder how many guys catch it. I you know think he, he knew po- it was you when he passed well, you? Well, he, he did tell us to shut the fuck up last year. So. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yep. I remember that. I remember that. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know how much uh, he ended up catching us, but he obviously knows we exist. So Love it. Just elite. But, yeah, anything else you want to say before we let you go here again? Thanks for joining us. I did write on CLNS Media this morning um, mm-hmm. about the passing. I love the passing last night. Took a bunch of clips, wrote out some of the uh, quotes. Guys were talking about that play with the six passes to set up Horford, just a mm-hmm. real moment in that game that I dug deep on. And uh, of course, uh, post game, we're live after game three. I'll be out in Milwaukee starting Saturday for games three and four. And uh, of course, check out Dome Theory podcast as well. I think we'll have Eric Nem from The Athletic uh, who covers the Bucks on tomorrow, I want to say. And then Celtics practice on tomorrow as well. So All right. uh, Wednesday when you hear this. So. All right, Thursday. Yeah, we're mixing up these <laughs> Thursday. Hell yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it yeah. as always. Uh, love having you on the show. And it, it was nice to talk Horford after he's been clipping <laughs> Giannis. But uh, yeah. Right, thanks, guys. Always appreciate you having me. Hell yeah. I'll cool. throw it over to Sam real quick. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys very much for listening or watching. If you're on YouTube, you're probably watching us on Bannertown or Guy Boss. And if you are, make sure you subscribe to both those channels. Leave us a like. Uh, usually have a couple people in the comments. So we always appreciate that. If you're on Guy Boss, you can catch Jack, me, an assortment of Tim or KJ on the pregames. That's a half hour before every game. We'll be there. The chat's are great. always very lively. Sometimes I top in on those right before the games. Ooh, appreciate it. Appreciate that. Yes. Just like Marcus watches the post game, Bobby watches our free games <laughs> once in a while, right? Love it. If you're on the streaming services, make sure you give us a follow just in case Jack does not tweet the pod. Uh, <laughs> but if he does, you can follow him at Jack Simone NBA. That's where you can get it. You can follow me at Sam LaFrance NBA, and you can follow Bob at the Real Bob Man or at Real Bob Man yep. on Twitter. Uh, that's our show for today. Chick Taco.